Welcome to the Micro Niche Mastery Podcast, where we help you establish yourself in the perfect micro niche so you will get noticed and grow your business faster. And now your host, he created the findability, braggability, and sellability test for micro niches, Zeev Raviv. Hello and welcome to the Micro Niche Mastery Podcast. This is season one, episode 10, and I'm here with Ajel Wade. Hello. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me here today. Oh, this is so exciting because you chose for yourself such a specific role in this world, such a like micro niche, uh, which is to be a coach for toy makers. You're the toy coach. How did you find yourself in this uh, wonderful role? Well, you know, I, I always wanted to work with kids. And so I did a bunch of different things for kids. Like I was designing exhibitions for kids for a little bit. Then a teacher of mine saw what I was doing and told me that there was a toy industry. So I worked in the toy industry for 10 years after studying toy design at, at school. And then I just thought one day, I guess I could be a toy coach. It kind of all just kind of fell into, I didn't mean to pick such a specific niche, but I just happened to have all the skills to fit me into this niche and all the experience. So I just went for it. So what type of skills do you need? Well, I guess it's just, I guess the skills are probably just in knowing of how the toy industry works and what makes a product toyetic and understanding how kids want to see products and how parents want to see products. and how buyers want to see products, and then having the skill set to be able to marry all of those things and create something that's sellable. But I'm also like a very experienced and skilled graphic designer, product designer, um, marketer now because of my business, I had to learn how to do a little bit of that. So it's those skills combined with the toy knowledge that made me perfect fit to be the toy coach. But uh, when you started, when you decided, okay, you have the skills, but like, how do you get your name out there? Right. I wasn't... So I actually got my name out there before I decided to be the toy coach. I was actually trying to get my name out there to just grow my toy career because I was a vice president of product and of brand and product at a toy company. And I just wanted to make sure that the industry knew me and knew what I was doing and knew all the great things I was working on. So I made a podcast called Making It in the Toy Industry. And I would share it on my LinkedIn where people in the industry were following me. Just to let people know that I was there, you know, just to say, hi, I'm here. I have an opinion and this is what it is. And then eventually what happened is the, the pandemic happened. And I started spending a lot of time at home and realized how important that time was for me and to be with my family. And then I started thinking about me, like being a, as a woman, like, am I going to want to have a family one day? What do I want that life to look like? So I decided to maybe go out on my own. And I had built this. I had like subsequently built an identity because of my podcast, and I used that identity to launch you know my own consulting business as the toy coach and when you provide value through the podcast and people listen to it and find it that it's you know find your opinions meaningful and valuable uh, you all, you start to see feedback coming in. What are some of the feedbacks that you got in the beginning of like your days when you started to like the listenership growing? Yeah, people were commenting, "Oh, I've been waiting for this like for 10 years. <laughs> Thank you so much for creating this. Please don't stop." <laughs> Things like that. 
I think people realize how much work it is and how much it costs to produce this kind of information. So they really appreciate that I'm taking the time to do it and they don't want me to stop. So I'm trying to do my best not to stop. And what are some of the results people got from listening to you? Yeah, well, it's not just from listening to me, but also I have a Facebook group attached to my podcast, which is just called the Toy Coach Podcast Community um, that's on Facebook. And so in that group, because it's people that follow the podcast, I share things. And so people have gotten placed in magazines just because I'm telling them like, today is the day to apply for this or submit your stuff for that. And here's what you say. And so combined with the things they're learning in the podcast and then me keeping them up to date in the group, sharing like really timely information in the group, people have just gotten placed, you know, they've made partnerships with people to promote their products on Instagram. They've gotten placed in magazines. They're pitching to toy companies. They've improved their pitch styles and like through PowerPoints and sizzle videos. But I've only started like a year ago. So, I mean, I guess my, my success stories aren't as many, but I hope I'll have more as I continue to grow. Speaking of growing, like, Growing also an email list, I presume. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do to grow that email list? Oh, I mean, to grow my email list, I don't really... I mean, I guess I should put more of a focus on that. <laughs> But I don't... I mean, I have free resources on my site that you have to give your email in exchange for. I have some things on my podcast that... Like specific for episodes. So I think for the latest episode was How to Be a Toy Designer, episode 78. So one of the free guides is... like interview questions you might be asked if you're interviewing as a designer. So that's something you, you can get by... Actually, that one is available to my Podcast Insiders Club members. So that's something that you can get for signing up to my Podcast Insiders Club, which is club.thetoycoach.com. But sometimes I'll just have like free pitch templates that people will send their email addresses, give their email addresses, and they get a free template. Or just to check off the product development checklist to get things like that. But for me, primarily, I think I do a lot of PR, like grassroots PR, like I'm on a lot of podcasts and TV shows and I'm focusing more on visibility than I guess I am on email. I am still collecting emails, but it's honestly not my top, top focus. So uh, tell me about how you make money. Yeah, my courses. My course, Toy Creators Academy is where my income comes from. And then consultations, like I'm still at the end of the day, a consultant. So I will do one-on-one -on -one hourly consultations for people that need them. But I also have clients, like bigger clients that I work with. And I might either develop social media for them. Right now, I'm in conversations to do a curation for a museum um, exhibition. I might design packaging or help do product development. So say they already have an idea and they need somebody to get them a designer and coordinate creating their product specification packet for China or find them a factory. Like I'll do all of that. So it's a mixture of things, consultation, courses, and then kind of contract gigs, which could be social media to museum curation. What's the cheapest thing that someone can buy from you as a toy creator? Yeah, definitely my Toy Coach Podcast Insider. Well, hold on. Yeah, I just, I have something new. I have a toy trade show handbook that's actually $9.97. That, yeah, that's a great, it's a great guide. It's filled with the top 13 toy trade shows and pitch events in our industry. So yeah, that's $9.97 right now. I would definitely grab that. You can go to toycoach.com to get that. But the other thing I was going to say was the Toy Coach Podcast Insiders Club, which is more of a membership. So 
how much does it cost to be in, uh, in oh, it? Oh, that's $19.99 right now, but I'm going to be adding more things to it. So I do see it growing in the future at the price point. And what's like, uh, like the flagship offer, like when someone is already warmed up and excited about what you can do for them, what would be like a more expensive investment into learning from you and being well, supported? Honest, yeah, honestly, that would be working with me on a contract basis. Like that would be, you come to me and you say, okay, let's work together for three to six months. And you tell me specifically what you want to accomplish in that time. And I'll make a custom packet for you. So that's not going to be something that anybody can go and buy at any time because that's really a commitment of my time where I say no to things in my calendar to make space for you and your business. How big is your team? Um, it's just me and a VA at the moment. Sweet. You're also very proficient with graphic design and with marketing like social and stuff. So what does your VA do for you? Yeah, any systems that I've built, she kind of helps run them. So mostly she's focused on the podcast. So let's say I'll write an episode, I'll record an episode, I'll edit an episode. She will go in and, and listen to it and see if there's any edits that I missed. She will take the artwork that I've made for the episode and schedule it to go on the podcast platform that I use to, to load up my podcast. She'll put it on Squarespace, which is my website platform. She'll just kind of do, I don't know how, like the admin work. You know, putting the copy where it goes, putting the images where it goes. Um, but I really do the heart of the work for the business. What is your estimate of the size of this niche? I mean, as far as what? Like how many people out there actually are designing toys? I mean, the toy industry is like a $97 billion industry globally. And it's $25 billion in the U.S., So it's big. <laughs> it's big. But it's so funny because like the, that, those numbers are you know, the traditional toy industry. That's like Target and Walmart and small mom and pops that are selling toys. And probably some Etsy numbers are in there. But there an, the market that I'm really discovering is a little bit different from that market. Because these are people that have had an idea but never had anywhere to go for it. So there is no data on that. I'm It's a risky thing that I'm doing. <laughs> There is no true data on who these people are because even I'm still discovering them. Like my students are, I always say that my students are like bakers and clowns, psychologists from all different walks of life. So no one's quantified it yet, but maybe I will be the first to figure out how big this, this new market is. I think you will be the source of information after a while because they will sign up for your email list and you'll know yeah. like, as a tool. You're so true. It's not like uh, the people that are designing toys as a hobby or even professionally as a side hustle, potentially. It's not like that they are already out there in the open, admitting it and saying it's to everyone. They're more like interested in these type of topics. So you want to be out there. You want to do your PR and do your, I guess, SEO to make sure with the podcast as well, to make sure that if they are searching for something, how to do this and how to do that, And you've mentioned like so many hurdles in the way that, uh, that toy creators have, like from design, through manufacturing, through marketing, social media, pitching, so many problems uh, to solve, to help them. And it seems like you can help them with every step. Is there something that you say, no, I can't help you with that? Yeah, of course. Like legal stuff, number one. Like that's number one. When people will ask me like, 
do I need to get NDA or do I need to get a patent before I continue? And I can tell you the reasons why and why not and the benefits of, and I can tell you the toy industry, usually people are showing ideas that are not patented. They might be pending, but they're not fully patented. But I can't be the deciding factor of whether or not you go forward and and patent that idea. And I just tell people what I know. I don't know everything, but what I know is the cost of defending your patent, you've got to be ready to spend like six figures is defending. (laughs) If somebody rips off this patent, if you're going to really fight that, you need a lot of money to fight that. So you have to think about that and then think about the investment of getting the patent, which is tens of thousands, like like a $10,000 investment could be if you're going to hire a lawyer and you're not going to do it yourself. So yeah, the legal stuff, I have my people who have come on my podcast that I refer people to. And I say, you reach out to them. They're an IP lawyer. They can help you. That's not my area of expertise. Within the toy industry, I'm guessing there's some electronics involved in some of the toys. Is that to distinguish that you also make, like I only do toys with electronics or without or whatnot? Yeah, I have done a very simple electronic toy. So there's like a difference on if you're going to just put a button in something and it's an open market, open source button piece that you just need to change the sound chip of. That's no big deal. If you're going to come to me specifically and say, oh, I want to create like a really intensely heavy, complicated electronic toy. Obviously, that's not my area of expertise. And you would want, I mean, the only thing that I would tell you is you want a factory that's that specializes in this or and or an industrial designer that has experience with this. And that's what I do as a toy coach. Like I connect people to my network. So I have many uh, people in my network that have helped people develop just like, let's say dolls with like several buttons or several ways to activate different play patterns. And by squeezing their hand, they might go on one play pattern route. And by squeezing their tummy, they might go on another electronic play pattern route. I would direct you toward, okay, this company can help you not only flesh out this idea so that a factory can understand it, but connect you to the right factory. Or this person has experience working with VTech, let's say as a freelancer, they can help you. That's what I would do. But I wouldn't say, oh, let me develop this item. It's all about connecting you to the right people. The toy industry is so specialized. You want a doll designer for doll products. You want a tech designer for tech products. You want very specific, you want a niche within a niche, even in the toy industry. Do you have some toy shops that you visited somewhere in the world where you felt like, oh man, this is just the best uh, toy shop in the world? Well, in the world, I mean, there was one in the US that I went to and I thought was amazing. And that was the camp stores. It's so funny because when I travel abroad, I go to toy stores, but I don't go to the big... Like I, don't, I never look up like a big fancy toy store. I always want to go to the like the Target equivalent or the Barnes and Noble equivalent because when you see mass market toys, you're getting a real understanding of the society and the culture and the pricing of that area. So I recently I was in like Puerto Rico and we went to like the stores just to look at what toys are like in like Walgreens because I like to see like what prices are fit here. But anyway, in the U.S., I saw the camp stores. They're amazing. It's about a whole experience. So when I went, they have like rotating exhibitions. But when I went, it was like a summer camp theme exhibition. And they had like a tree house. And I mean, they had like a fire pit area. They had like a play Jeep. And the way that they design it is so essentially the whole thing looks like a play room with like different sections and play areas that are like themed. And then on top of that, they have their products strewn without. So they'll have like 
say it's like a tree house, they'll create shelves out of little like wooden tree looking limb things and they'll put product on those shelves. Say it's a spaceship, they'll create shelves in the spaceship and put product on that. So it's like a fully immersive experience for the kids who get to run around, play and pick up product and then their parents pay for it. But I love the camp stores. They're, it's amazing. Are you still these days designing your own toys? So I did recently create one, well, a couple. So in my own toys, I've created one little figure, which is going to be kind of like a Funko Pop style figure. Um, but that is really de- something I'm designing so that my students can watch the entire process of. It's not necessarily that I want to sell a bunch of these, but I think it's a great process study. So we have like, I just got the 3D files finished. I'm going to be ordering a 3D sample soon so they can see that whole process. And then aside from that, I still do freelance. So it's not my own product, but it feels like it is. Like whenever they say, okay, sketch this and do a turnaround drawing and we're going to create this in real life, it feels like it's your baby. So I've done a couple of those, but of course I can't share what they are because they're not out yet. But (laughs) yeah, I've done a few of those. Sweet. What's your vision for the Toy Coach brand uh, for, I don't know, a year from now? I don't know. I would just, it's more about my lifestyle, I think, than my brand. I would just love to have the freedom to help the people that I want to help without having to worry about, oh, am I going to be able to keep this business afloat? Am I going to be able to keep doing this full time? Because what I've had to learn is whenever I cut my prices too low, I'm actually doing a disservice to the people that I want to help. Because if my prices are too low and I can't afford to maintain my business, then all the help goes away. All of the connection goes away. Everything goes away. So I just hope that I can keep maintaining it and that I price it just right so that everything can keep going. And when I have, I have like students that come to me and I have this dream to be able to help them in a way that I can only help them once I establish my business at a certain level. Like I have to get to a certain level so that I can create the space to help my students really affordably. I really want to make sure that they're okay. Like they're just getting started in this industry and I want to make it easy for them. But you know, you've got to eat. That's the thing. You've got to eat when you're working in business. So if someone is hearing this and is thinking, oh, wow, I want to... I had a dream about this toy that I want to produce. What would you say the first step is? And how much do you think should he put money aside? Oh, well, the first step, I would say, listen to my podcast. I tell people this all the time. And I would start with episode one. I would start with the very first episode, maybe one through like five. I'd probably listen to. Because I kind of, those episodes, I started them very sequentially. Yeah, I would do that first. And then it depends. Like, it depends on where you are in your life. If you have an extra $10,000, dollars that you can set aside and you're willing to start with like your less ambitious ideas first, like maybe you start with your paper products, which is what I always tell people. You start with your ideas for games. You start with your ideas for paper dolls or things like that, because that will keep your costs low. And you develop those ideas first before you go into like custom doll molds and custom this and custom that. Like stay away from that when you're just starting out because you're going to make mistakes. You want to you wanna give yourself room to make those mistakes and not feel like you just wasted your whole life savings. But I would actually say to start, the very first time you get out there, try to start as an inventor. Because when you're an inventor, you just get to tinker and play with a lot of things and experiment. And you spend more money creating prototypes But if you land a deal, you don't have to spend any more money. You literally land this deal and you get royalties and essentially all your money just goes into prototyping instead of investing in like $10,000 worth of samples or product and then having to pay shipping fees and import fees. And you don't have to do all of that and dealing with like customer complaints and 
refunds and all of that. So I would start as an inventor first. And I have a podcast episode on inventors too. So just search for that. <laughs> What's your opinion about crowdsourcing for toy creators? I've heard great things. You know, I've heard really great things about crowdsourcing. It's a lot of work. And I think a lot of toy creators don't realize how much work it is. Essentially, everything I do for my business as the toy coach, you will have to do for your toy product idea. As much as like I live and breathe being the toy coach, you need to be ready, ready to live and breathe whatever your... If your idea is this like Wonder Woman figurine, you got to like live and breathe this Wonder Woman figurine. Like every post, every time you're featured anywhere, every like outfit you show on Instagram, you got to relate it back to this, this figurine. So I mean, crowdfunding only works if you build yourself an email list, you build yourself a following... And in order to do that, you have to be committed to your toy. Like your, it's your whole business. It's your whole life. And that's, that's tough for some people. Coming back to your podcast, is that a, a show that you often have interviewees in? Oh, I do. I do. So how hard is it for you to find an interviewee on your podcast? Isn't so far that hard, but I am getting more and more nervous about it now <laughs> because I've interviewed so many people. I am getting a little nervous. Like when I first started my podcast, I actually never wanted to have interviews. And then I started doing a few interviews and I was like, oh, okay, I get, this is good. So now I'm trying to work on like every other or, or two, every two solos, one interview. I go everywhere. Like I might interview somebody who's a student of mine so, we, so that my listeners can see their journey. But I also might interview someone who has had success on their own and never worked with me. Or I might interview a head of a company. Or I even like to interview people outside of this industry, like people who have like baby clothing brands, or just like I'm looking to interview like a couple of animators right now. Like I am very anything that I think will help. I think I'm open to the people that I will interview. So it allows me more freedom and flexibility as far as who I interview. And I just am really strategic about the questions I ask to make sure that it's giving information back that can be applied to the toy industry. Nice. Sweet. If you were able to give yourself an advice like a few years back, uh, what advice would you tell yourself? Oh my God. Buy crypto is <laughs> what I would do. <laughs> buy crypto. Uh, no. Yeah, probably that'd be it. Uh, just like buy more stocks. I may I bought a lot of Moderna, but I would have bought way more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, like business wise, like just but I would do what keep doing what you're doing would be the advice because like follow your gut instinct has always led me well. So as long as I keep doing what I'm doing, I really believe that it will work out. And anytime I don't believe it will work out, I change course. So I would just tell myself, keep doing all of those things. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Nice. Rachel, where can people learn more about you? Yeah. So head over to thetoycoach.com or find me on Instagram at thetoycoach. I hang out there the most and I hope to hear from you. Sweet. Thank you so much. That was fascinating. And thank you for listening for the Micro Niche Mastery Podcast. See you next week. This show was brought to you by dailycookie.co, where you can finally feel supported. Daily email love, now delegatable. Visit dailycookie.co for a collection of free resources on how to use copywriting and daily emails to grow your micro niche business today.